1: Good morning, freckled foodie family. Happy Friday. How many F's and R's can we throw in that first sentence? Evidently a lot. I am super excited to share today's episode with you all. We are interviewing Jessie Jean. She is the host of the Dear Body Podcast, is the founder of Food Freedom Online Program, and is focused on helping women stop binge and overeating. I was fortunate enough, I couldn't think of the word there, fortunate enough to be a guest on her show. We immediately just jived and connected, and she is such an incredible interviewer and also guest, just very well-spoken. And today's episode, we chat a ton about her relationship with eating and body image and just a decade-long journey that she experienced. I dive into a few similarities of what I have experienced and then ways to hopefully adapt and really grow because, as she says, this is not a life sentence. Um, I do want to say that just trigger warning for anyone who is dealing with disordered thoughts or, you know, has struggled with their relationship with food or body image, this episode could potentially bring up some of those thoughts. I hope it would help you work through them. But I obviously just want to give you guys that heads up if maybe today isn't the best mental state for you to listen to the episode. That is totally fine. Come back to it at a later point when you feel comfortable. Anyway, without further ado, I hope you guys love this conversation as much as I do. Let's kick it on over to me and Jesse. Jesse, thank you so much for joining us. I am super excited to have this conversation, especially after I had the pleasure of being on your podcast, the Dear Body Podcast. I was just listening to it the other
0: day, and I'm pumped to have you on here. Mm, So excited to be here and just excited to to dive into all things that we're going to dive into today. I loved our episode. I know it's going to reach so many people and impact them, so I'm excited to be on.
1: Of course. I know. I think... We have a lot of you know shared experiences, very Mm -hmm. different experiences, I think things that we can connect on. So I know this episode, or I hope this episode will resonate with a lot of my community as the Mm -hmm. topics that I'm sure we'll dive into are ones that they care about. Um, But to kick things off, how would you define success?
0: Mm. Well, I've had a lot of different definitions of success over my life. But um, the one that feels so in alignment with where I'm at today is just peace. I define success as a state and feeling of peace and contentment. Um, I used to strive so much for achieving different things in my life, and I felt like my happiness and my joy was dependent on what I could achieve. And I have since especially this past year with kind of my, I'm sure as a lot of our listeners here, I'm sure your world, a lot of people's world has been turned upside down. Mine was this past year with everything that happened with our world and just some personal family challenges. And um, I realized a lot that, When I am in a state of peace, um, that's when I feel most success. And I have also learned that it can be in the middle of a pandemic or in the middle of family challenges or personal challenges. I can cultivate a state of peace in the midst of chaos. And so uh, peace has just become the thing that, um, yeah, just resonates so deep when I think of success.
1: I absolutely agree. I think peace is something I'm constantly striving for mm. and sadly not something I feel all too often. Mm. Um, I just feel like I, my aura, if you want to say, or my natural yes. method is elevated and heightened and mm. less chill, to put it easily. Yeah. So I'm constantly working on that and it's something... That has definitely made progress over the past few years, but especially 2020. I was actually having this conversation with one of my best friends this morning because I'm having this weird struggle almost of, Mm. you know, in my past life. I would wake up super, super early. I would work out right away. I'd have all my morning stuff done. I would have breakfast. I'd be well into work by 9 a.m. And now with the mix of 2020 and pregnancy on top of it, Mm. I'm just like... So slowly moving, mm-hmm. I don't feel nearly as rushed, which is a good thing. But mm-hmm. some part of me still misses that other. It's just such a mental, like, mindfuck almost trying mm-hmm. to find comfort in the slowness and the peace.
0: One hundred percent. I I still struggle a ton with finding um, finding contentment in moving slower and accomplishing less and not always seeing what I used to define as progress. I'm shifting, I'm working on actively shifting my perspective to see progress as more time spent being present instead of how much more can I accomplish? Can I, you know, can the business grow bigger? Can I impact more lives? What does, you know, what, what things am I, um, you know, evolving in my own personal life? And just really simplifying it to how much more time can I practice just being present in the moment, being fully engulfed in each moment, kind of squeezing every single moment for all the good juiciness it has to offer. And it's hard because I feel like our society has just conditioned us to to see uh, success in one light, in one angle of just accomplishing more. And so slowing down can feel, I think very uneasy for those of us who, you know, have formerly defined success and what we can accomplish. Absolutely. It's the toxic productivity
1: aspect of like, mm, totally. You have to be productive 24 seven. Otherwise you're not successful and you're not doing enough. And that's a mindset I'm constantly trying to shift away from. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, I really struggle being in the moment and I'm constantly thinking of 10,000 things I should be doing or I'm doing five things at once. And I do not have a great attention span. I Mm -hmm. like something I've always struggled with. I was technically diagnosed with ADHD. I don't really resonate with that diagnosis, but Mm -hmm. I realize that my mind is in a bunch of different places at once. And it's something I'm really trying to work on because I do feel like you know even right now i'm here at my parents house for 3 weeks in florida and mm. coming into it that was like oh my god 3 weeks it feels so long but when you don't live in the present and you don't really like accept and i guess like see gratitude in the small things mm-hmm. the time flies by because you're so con- consumed with filling it with things yeah. that each day goes by so quickly if that makes sense
0: Absolutely. I have found that this past year, I have spent a lot more time uh, doing less and putting myself in situations where I'm forced to do less, like going camping and backpacking where you don't have access to anything, but whatever you carried on your back and nature and the days felt so much longer when I was out in nature, because you're just not distracted by a million different things that you're filling your time with. Um, And it's kind of, it it took me back to a very childlike feeling where uh, time didn't feel as fast. It felt you're just there. You're just present in the moment. And um, it's such a gift to, to get ourselves to slow down a bit. And I think a lot of the, a lot of our mental health challenges are coming from not knowing how to slow down. Definitely. Mm. It's something I've
1: definitely struggled with. And I too, I sadly didn't spend, well, I spent some time in nature. I had planned this entire trip to New Hampshire with my husband for like a month. And that happened to be right after we found out I was pregnant. So it was in the worst place. Peak of my mm. first trimester. And I basically didn't leave the house. The point was to go spend time in nature, but it <laughs> ended up on the couch watching the Mindy project. But for me, I do, I take a week off of all work and all social media as a consumer, even mm. for between Christmas and New Year's, and then one week in the summer. And it's so wild how incredibly long those weeks feel. Mm. It's like a month. And I think that for me is a constant reminder of the days don't have to go by so quickly if I'm not constantly looking for simulation. Like the time is the
0: same, it's just how I'm feeling it hmm Absolutely. And it's, it's a lost art. I think our attention is pulled a million different directions and I challenge myself to find stillness and find slowness in the everyday. I love doing, you know, kind of a detox from work and social media and, and unplugging entirely. But I also try and integrate little moments throughout my day where I might be in line at the grocery store or waiting on something. And instead of grabbing my phone, I, I I try to practice just sitting in that moment and it, it causes time to slow down a little bit. It causes my nervous system to relax a little bit. And we're so, I mean, we've got our phones on us all the time and it's so easy to fill any void with something, some type of stimulation. And when we practice, when we practice kind of fighting back a little bit, um, It also really helps with our creativity and our creative problem-solving skills, which can also assist in in healing mental health challenges. So I love that you kind of do an entire detox. So I think that's really powerful.
1: It's been so helpful for me. And what you just said about it ignites and inspires creativity. For me, I notice I constantly am thinking of ideas, whether it's, you know, Instagram stories, Instagram posts, podcasts, all these things right before I'm falling asleep.
0: Mm. And
1: I think it's because it's the one of the only times I allow myself to just be in the stillness and not be distracted. Mm. So I have been like trying, to, I try so hard to remember them and like I write them down sometimes, but honestly, like those are the moments where things come to me and it it has come to my attention of, well, Cam, maybe it's because you're not distracting yourself with 10,000 things. Maybe (laughs) put more time aside each day. You know, I meditate every day, but still that's in the morning. And usually my thoughts are just less focused on work. I'm just kind of like all over the place. But I do think it's so... Creatively inspiring to step away. No, and it doesn't, that's not even for people who are creators. I think that's for everyone. Like Mm. it does give us this ability to. Daydream in a sense.
0: Mm -hmm, Absolutely. I think uh, the practice of clearing our mind or just uh, letting our brains slow down a little bit. I have found that I have actually um, excelled more in what most would call a traditional definition of success and, you know, business growth and, you know, personal development. The more I have practiced slowing down, which at first was pretty mind blowing to see it was almost out of necessity that I forced myself to slow down because I was just exhausted and it was impacting my mental health. And um, what I found was that in doing so, everything started to accelerate, um, but in more of a, in a sense of flow instead of force. And it felt really good to have just more, you know, moments of inspiration and creativity that um, assisted in my business growth and just personal growth. So I think there's um, a lot more to access than just peace when we slow down. I think there's creativity and I think there's higher levels of success. And we're so used to forcing, forcing, forcing. And um, I try to learn more and more how I can flow in my life because it just feels better.
1: So much better. And I think it's something I've worked on, but the less I grip my business with such a tightness, the better it performs, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I really, really have noticed this over the past five months while I've been pregnant because my first trimester was absolute hell. And I was Mm -hmm. just having this conversation with my friend where I did the absolute bare minimum work. I Mm -hmm. really, like I feel confident and comfortable saying that. My focus was getting through every day and... Mm -hmm not barfing on everyone. Mm -hmm. So honestly, like my day was spent majority of the time in the bed or on the couch. And I'm so grateful that I'm in a place where I wasn't going into a corporate office because Mm -hmm. I can't fathom how I would have done that. Mm -hmm. But for me, it was such an interesting realization when I put myself first, I allowed myself to not get so wrapped up and obsessed with work. I still did what was required of me, mm. and at the end of the day, nothing changed business-wise. Like a podcast still was released every week. I still got the brand partnerships I was hoping to get. I mm. still was making the same amount of money. Uh, you know, all of these things and it really put things in perspective for me. And I think it's a mix of, you know, working harder or working smarter, not harder. And that's something I'm really trying to carry as I finish this pregnancy, but also bringing another person into my life that I'm responsible for. They're going to take their priority, So it's just really trying to do what I can when I have the time mm-hmm. and adapting to the schedule, but not obsessing over everything 24 seven.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's so, um, it's such a gift to see that, Hey, life's Life still goes on when we slow down. And I think moments like, you know, having a really rough first trimester can show that to you. And I think in those times, it's like take, taking that knowledge and saying, okay, you know, my, my health kind of forced me into this, but how can, I, how can I cultivate this when health isn't forcing me or pregnancy isn't forcing me to slow down? How can I practice making myself do that? Right. And it's 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 hard because it's so easy to continue to fill our lives with things and I I like to write not to do lists. Uh we mm-hmm. are so, you know, we're so into creating to do lists and constantly adding and and achieving more things and I like to and I share with my clients to take some time to create not to do lists. Um and it seems it seems um kind of backwards but the reason is we can accomplish all that we want, but not all at once. We we far overestimate what we can get done in a year, and way underestimate what we can accomplish in ten. And if we learn how to prioritize, and we learn how to practice um, saying no, and uh, taking things off of our plate, offloading, delegating, um, you know, decreasing the amount of responsibility we have, we will increase our effectiveness in the things that we're trying to be effective in
1: absolutely and that's something i've really noticed over the past year when i've expanded my team a bit just simple mm-hmm. things that you know someone's better at than i am why why mm-hmm. wouldn't i hire someone then to assist me with that if they can do it in a quarter of the time way more efficiently and i can offload it that's a smart business move in my mm-hmm. mind so we've talked a lot about growth and evolving when it comes to business and the way we look at our lives. You've been very open on your platforms about your relationship with food and you know how that has evolved. If you feel comfortable, do you mind walking
0: us through kind of that history and how it has changed? Yeah, absolutely. So um I battled I kind of call it the the mental hell hole it wasn't all it's not black and white there was many good times throughout my uh, life or and my struggles with food and body but it was in a lot of ways a mental hell hole that i was living in and i struggled with binge eating emotional eating compulsive overeating body dysmorphia uh, just really unhealthy tendencies with food for about a decade and um, those struggles really stole a lot from my life i was neurotic with food. I was um, I was afraid of food. I hated the way that I looked. I was obsessed with my with my body in a very negative sense. I call negative body image just body obsession. I just picked myself apart, and um, and I had crippling insecurity. And I felt like this was the thorn in my side that I was going to have to struggle with my entire life. I and it wasn't for lack of effort that I was um, was still stuck in these in these places with food where I felt just so compulsive. Um, I intellectually knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to eat balance. I balanced, I wanted to have this normal relationship with food, but it was just, it felt impossible. I sometimes felt like my body was, my body and brain were being hijacked and I would engage in these behaviors with food where I would, you know, binge in secret, or I would, um, chew a bunch of food and then spit it out and then I would hide food at the or wrappers at the bottom of the trash can and you know it, when it was really bad I was stealing my roommate's food in college because I would have these moments of impulsivity and then I would feel so much guilt and shame and then all of these compensatory behaviors from trying to make myself throw up to taking laxatives to living in the gym and on cardio equipment it was just I think the best way to describe it was exhausting and anybody who struggled with their relationship with food knows it's exhausting and, um, it's all consuming mentally. It's like the first thing I thought of when I woke up in the morning was, you know, what I weighed and, um, uh, what I was going to eat that day, and if I could eat or if I shouldn't eat, or how much I needed to work out in order to make up for this thing, or what my calories were, or what my macros were, and um, and still never felt good enough. I gained weight, I lost weight, I took it to the extreme and did bikini competitions, and I thought, you know, that's going to be the thing that really solves it for me. I'm going to feel so much better once I force myself, you know, to to follow through with this competition diet and. I felt the most insecure I ever had in my entire life when I did that. And then the rebound from doing that extreme dieting was so intense. It was a complete mind fuck. And and I just, the cycles continued year after year for over a decade of my life. And um, it got so bad at one point. I remember thinking, I don't know if I can live like this my entire life. And I was starting to have dark thoughts of, I'm just not sure if – I want to keep living. And that was really scary because I've always been kind of a happy-go-lucky, positive, bubbly personality, but this was just wearing on me so much. And what was frustrating was um, I was succeeding in other areas of my life. I was succeeding. And at the time I was in college, I was succeeding in you know, all of my studies. I was doing really well. And um, you know, I had a job. I was doing well there. And it was like, why can I why can I put my mind to, to something, anything besides this and succeed, but I can't figure out this thing. And I got to this breaking point where I finally decided to muster up every ounce of courage I could access inside of myself. And I put myself into therapy and I thought, okay, like this, it was so humbling for me to do that. I was so afraid. I I didn't have the money when I was in college to do this. I was scrounging together everything I could to put myself in therapy and, um, And while therapy was therapeutic, um, I wasn't finding relief from some of these, this obsessive compulsive thinking I had around food and these binging and overeating tendencies. And that was really frustrating because I felt like, man, i I put so much, uh, so much into mustering up the courage to get myself to therapy, and it's not working for me in the way that I want it to work. What's wrong with me? I must be the outlier. I must be broken. And right, you feel
1: so alone in that moment, like no one else is experiencing this. It's just me.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, I then discovered Overeaters Anonymous, which is, um, if you've ever heard of AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, it's exactly the same thing in terms of formality. It's a 12-step program. You can meet daily. There's meetings all over the place, just like there's AA meetings all over the place. And I remember thinking, okay, this is so, I'm so embarrassed. And I was in college and I went to um, uh, CSU in Fort Collins in Colorado. And it's a, I mean, it's a big, it's a big town, but it's a college town. And I'm thinking, Oh my gosh, I'm going to run into a classmate in one of these OA meetings or I'm going to, I was just so, uh, so embarrassed and so nervous. And I continue to go to these meetings. And while I don't want to, I, I, I don't bash therapy. I'm in couples therapy right now. I'm a big proponent of therapy. Um, and I also don't want to bash over eaters anonymous. I know it's helped many people for me. It was, uh, it it wasn't the solution. We were repeating things like, um, you know, just like in AA, like, "Hi, my name is Jesse. I am an overeater. My life has become um, powerless. I'm uh, I'm powerless over food. My life has become unmanageable." And we were saying these types of mantras essentially. And everything I've learned since from the field of neuroscience and behavior change is that's. Uh, pretty toxic. We don't want to label ourselves things that we don't want to embody more of because it's stored in the subconscious and our brain's reticular activating system goes to work to reinforce the things floating around in our subconscious, whether they're true or not, it doesn't matter. It just looks for whatever's in our mind. It looks to reinforce that. And um, I didn't find relief from the binging and the overeating um, in Overeaters Anonymous. And so yet again, I felt so incredibly hopeless. And that was kind of the backstory of just my struggles with food and body.
1: So thank you so much for sharing all of that and for Mm. being so vulnerable to really give us such personal details. Mm. For... Your experience, what was then the moment that did kind of shift things? Because you said, you know, you tried a few things and I think it takes a lot of courage to get yourself into therapy and to go to those OA meetings. And I think it would be even more disheartening when you do something like that and you finally feel like you're putting yourself out there and you're trying to help yourself and then you don't feel it's working the way you want it to. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in my struggles with anxiety, I've definitely felt that I'm alone. I'm the outlier. No one else feels this way. Like for me, it was very, I have this picture perfect life on paper. How is it possible that I'm this anxious and sad and lonely? It doesn't make any sense and no one else feels this way. And I think for me, one of my pillars of my platform is to reassure everyone that no matter the emotion you were feeling, you were not alone because I mm-hmm. truly believe that. Yeah. And I'm curious what eventually did make that shift for you because it seems like right now you're in a much better place when it comes to your relationship with food. Mm-hmm. And what was the eventual change in mindset?
0: Yeah. So it was... Um, it was a long process, and um, it was a decade-long process. And it doesn't have to be. Um, that's why I'm so passionate about teaching other people kind of these these methods for mental reprogramming. But for me, I didn't have what I now teach, and it was very much so a process of trial and error. And the first thing that kind of led me in the right direction was I had read a book about addiction uh, because I have, we have a history of addiction in our family and I was just interested in learning more about it. Um, I was so um I, I was really struggling um, with watching my family members suffer and not understanding it, and kind of having this perspective: like if you loved us, you would quit this thing. And then realizing, okay, addiction is—it's not about whether they love you or not. It's—it's—it runs a lot deeper than that. And so I was learning about addiction, and they weren't talking about food, but everything that they were saying when I was kind of reading into addiction, I'm like, man, that sounds like what's going on in my brain. Just this obsessive compulsive tendency where, you know, you want to be different. You know, you want to do different. And yet the impulse sometimes feels like it overtakes you. And I thought, damn, like this is, this is it. And so I started to look at my struggles in light of addiction, which led me into, I was just kind of down the Google wormhole and I started to understand and, and make my way into. N- understanding neuroscience. And I was reading just random articles and uh, just different things about uh, the neuroscience of behavior change and what happens in your brain when you're dealing with these cyclical patterns. And I was starting to feel a little bit of hope. Something in me knew that this was different um, because when I was in therapy, which I, like I said, I'm, I'm not bashing therapy. I'm a huge proponent of therapy. However, um, traditional Uh, therapy for eating disorder recovery has very, very low success rates. However, therapy is a, a beautiful thing and there's so many different forms of therapy and, um, but with therapy what I was doing was I was talking a lot about my childhood and where these struggles with you know food and body may have started and because there was family members who struggled with addiction I was probably looking for some something to control and so I turned to food and then it spiraled out of control and it was it was all I, w- I was understanding things and it was definitely therapeutic but when I started to read more into the neuroscience of behavior change and I understood that there's these mental patterns that get deeply programmed into our brain and there's actually mental techniques that we can we can utilize to interrupt these mental patterns and we can begin to over time through lots and lots of repetition reprogram how our brain works I thought man this is feeling really really hopeful and so I it was a really messy journey but I started to just practice some of these different mental techniques and what I realized was that the struggle with food and body is um it's a collective struggle. It's not an individual struggle. And what I mean by that is therapy, one, one-to-one one therapy, we were trying to heal um, a collective societal, s- society and bread struggle uh, individually. If And I always say, if you were on planet earth all by yourself, um, you wouldn't have any struggles in your relationship with food and body. It has come from right. uh, societal pressures. And so What I was seeing was that the struggle was multifaceted through lots and lots of repetition. I have, I have programmed my brain to automatically behave in certain ways and create these impulses that I physically felt in my body to overeat and do these things with food that I knew I didn't want to do. And, but at the same time, I had, programmed in this pattern, but it was also emotional in the sense of it was also deeply um, intertwined with my low self-esteem and my body image challenges. So it wasn't just a mental reprogramming um, problem. It was also an emotional problem. So it was a psychological problem. It was an emotional problem. It was a collective challenge. And when I looked at it from this multidimensional angle and I started to tackle different Aspects of where I knew I was struggling, I started to feel a lot of relief. And I knew, like I said, I knew I was onto something. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, it's a very long journey for
1: so many people. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, so many people struggle with body image and their relationship with food. And it's something I've definitely touched on across my platform. I, my struggles were not in comparison to what you went through, but, Mm -hmm. you know, I definitely had moments, call it like a two year span of just obsession and, Mm -hmm. you know, veered on the orthorexic thoughts of really obsessing over what I was going to eat. It had to be the healthiest thing. What are the options going to be? And I think that for me, like, I think there was almost this misunderstanding in that time because I thought, well, I'm just being healthy. I didn't mm-hmm. think I was doing anything wrong and I don't think I really was able to reflect on it until my behavior changed. Mm-hmm. And now when I compare how I am right now in my relationship with my body and food to where I was three years ago, it's night and day. And mm-hmm. I'm curious, you know, for everyone listening who is thinking, what she's saying Resonates. I don't feel I'm doing as extreme of behaviors, but you know maybe something's going on. Do you think that there are signs or questions that you think people should kind of ask themselves to decipher whether they do have a not disordered relationship, but a positive relationship with food?
0: Mm, Yeah, I, you know, I I get this question a lot. It's like, how do I know? Because I I swung from one end of the extreme spectrum to another. And um, those who struggle with their relationship with food the struggles are as unique as our fingerprint everybody who has food and body challenges it looks entirely unique so uh, the question I get oftentimes is how do I know I'm a binge eater or an overeater or an emotional eater or have a disordered relationship with food and I always say you know instead of asking yourself that question the first thing I want to remind you is you're not disordered um, and in fact let's not even label ourselves a binge eater an emotional eater um, and a- We don't want to label ourselves anything we don't want to manifest more of and create more of. And you weren't born that way. You might be experiencing those behaviors and it sucks. I want to acknowledge that no part of it's fun, uh, but it's not who you are. And so I always say if you're if you're wanting to know if there are um, if what you're doing with food is normal or if there's, you know, um, other levels of freedom, For you to access, I have this list of 10 questions that I always share. I say, if you can answer yes to any of these questions, there's probably areas of your relationship with food that could be improved through some mental reprogramming tools and techniques. And so um, the questions are, do you ever feel guilt for eating? Do you ever feel anxious around food? Do you ever feel a sense of a loss of control or impulsive with food? Do you ever judge yourself for what you eat? Do you use food to cope, distract, or numb out? Do you fear certain foods? Do you label certain foods as good or bad? Do you ever feel like you're on a roller coaster ride with food? Do you feel like there's no way you could trust your body or your intuition to guide your eating? Do you feel like sometimes you can't even feel your body's hunger, fullness, and satiety cues? So if you can answer yes to any of those questions, the hope and the encouragement is that there's there's greater levels of healing and greater levels of freedom that you can access once you understand some tools and techniques. So that's what I always, when when that question comes up, that's always what I refer to is let's not even look at ourselves as disordered because we're not. We might be engaging in some unhealthy and toxic behaviors, but there's that that's not who you are you weren't born that way in fact you were born as a natural intuitive eater and if you've if you don't know what intuitive eating is it's essentially eating when you're hungry and being able to stop when you're full which seems pretty simple in theory but anybody who's struggling with their relationship with food knows it's not that simple it doesn't feel that simple but when you were a baby you cried when you were hungry hopefully your caretaker fed you And you stopped naturally when you were full. You lost interest when you were full. And we can get ourselves back to that um, by kind of reprogramming how our brain works, which has been a little messed up because of societal pressures and diet culture and these different diets that we've been on.
1: So I think A those questions were so helpful. Mm-hmm. Um I think it really lays out a very like you know a- you can ask everyone who's listening can answer those as you were saying them. I know I was doing it. I feel extremely grateful to be in a place where my answer was no to all of them but
0: mm-hmm.
1: I know three years ago my answer was yes to many of them. Right. And I will just say <laughs> and I totally agree with what you're saying where we don't want to label ourselves and you know I do think labeling creates then an identity that you feel you're locked into almost and it manifests more of that. I just struggle a bit because I do feel, you know, I have eating, eating disorders, specifically anorexia and bulimia do run in my family. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's twofold because do I think society has a huge role in it? Yes, a hundred percent. But I also do think this is almost how it helps me sometimes with my anxiety, because if I just told myself, well, it's because of society and things that have happened to me that I have anxiety, like it there is some comfort in mm-hmm. my experience and i would say that my mom agrees who struggled severely with anorexia knowing that you know part of it is a chemical genetic situation and mm-hmm. i think society plays a huge role but i do think there is also a small part of it that like is just in i don't know what the correct scientific terms are and i know there's been research on this like I read one piece of, you know, eating disorders being genetic, but I do think that some might find a small level of comfort, not that it's, I'm always going to be this way, but it's not my fault I'm this way. Does that make mm-hmm. sense?
0: Yes. And I would echo that hundred percent, whether you are genetically predisposed to certain right. types of behaviors or you are conditioned through, and it's likely a combination of things. Totally. Uh, <clears throat> or you're, you've been conditioned through you know, diet culture and the media and society's unrealistic expectations. Either way, it's not your fault. Nobody raises their hand and says, I want to struggle with my relationship with food. The thing that I I have to do every single day to survive, I, I want to struggle with it. Nobody wants it. You didn't raise your hand and ask for it. It's not your fault. And I think that's where we have to realize that um, – Uh, mental health is, we have to break the stigma around this. You don't choose these types of battles. Nobody chooses anxiety or depression. It's like nobody chooses to get the flu. Um, and so, yeah, can we be pre, uh, predisposed based on our genetic makeup to, um, be more inclined to behave in certain ways that can then cause us to fall into, you know, some of these traps with unhealthy, you know, toxic behaviors. Absolutely. And so to understand also brain health is really important and to shift the discussion from not just mental health, but understanding, uh, brain health, I think is really, really important. Um, the field of you know, psychiatry is one of the only fields that really doesn't study the organ that it treats. And uh, there's, um, you know, there's there's different individuals that are really looking into more of studying the brain and, and how our brain's health is impacting our mental health, impacting our mind. And so when you look at that and say, well, something in this organ, um, you know, in between my two ears is off, I think it can provide a little bit of relief to say, okay, what do I need to do to support a healthier body? brain so that my mind is healthier and so that I behave in healthier ways.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I could go on and on about how important I think brain health is. And Mm -hmm. I think we talked about this on your episode or our episode on your show, but for me, someone who suffered from six concussions, two of which were very intense, Mm -hmm. and that Has greatly impacted my mental health. And you know, you see all these studies on football players and professional athletes. And I think that there should be more focus on brain trauma, brain health, all of this. And something that I think has been an interesting, and I I feel like I'm going to fuck up the analogy, but Mm -hmm. Dak Shepard, who I love, has said something along these lines when it comes to his addiction. But I can put it in terms of, you know, diet culture and eating behaviors. It's like some of us are born with the like a gun in hand, for instance, like the gun of genetics, mm-hmm. but the bullets being loaded and what's pulling the trigger are the constant diet culture. The constant mm-hmm. images were shown of women looking a very specific way and feeling like that's how we have to look. The constant, you know, eat less, that those types of things are just adding to it but you're just set you're set up at a different level if that makes sense
0: mm-hmm. yeah 100 our um our genetics and our you know it, our brain health is it plays a huge impact our hormones play a huge impact on in how we feel how we function how we behave and so looking at ourselves um Kind of in an independent sense of, or, or kind of doing parts work, where it's like, well, we're just going to tackle this part of ourselves um, is a disservice to to ourselves. We need to look at the body as and our and our being at, from a holistic sense because it's all intertwined. And so, I think this is where. Um, I became really passionate in looking at eating disorders and my challenges with body dysmorphia from a, a multidimensional standpoint, because it's not just one sided talk therapy wasn't enough. I needed a multidimensional approach to to healing in order to finally find full freedom, food and body freedom.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, we've talked a lot about food and we haven't gotten specific, but on a more positive food Mm -hmm. note, how I like to close every episode, what would be the three ways to your heart through food?
0: Oh, the three ways to my heart. Oh, through food. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. It's so hard, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is a good question. Well, I love food and um, I love all food. But when I met my husband, oh, it's been six going on seven years ago, um, he's Asian. And I grew up um, in a very small conservative mountain town and was exposed to very little diversity of food. And when I met him, my whole world kind of opened up in terms of food. And so I absolutely love Asian food, the the variety of flavors and spices. I love, love, love spicy food. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's hard for me to pinpoint just three things. Um, but I would have to say that I am, I really, really love spicy food. What's something that's really important to me in my meals is that I have a variety of hot, cold, sweet, savory, um, um, crunchy and soft elements like that oh my goodness makes i love perfect. that yeah a perfect meal for me has all of those elements and um, it's just a perfect balance of all things um so i don't know if that really answers your question but for me to feel super satisfied it has to have a lot of dynamics in flavor um and i don't have one one or two or three particular favorites when it comes to the sweet end of things i am um, an ice cream junkie I I love and ice cream. I do not discriminate. I love all flavors. Um so that's probably yeah, that's probably the way to my heart through food.
1: I'm a big ice cream fanatic. There are only two <laughs> so flavors good. I will not eat. Cherry Garcia and like a cake batter situation. I just okay. I don't okay. know, it doesn't do it for me. But I have ice cream every day and it's my favorite food. Yeah, um best. it's the best. So- it's the best. It's the best. Um, Thank you so much for coming on here and sharing your story and for being so open and so vulnerable and really just so informative and educational for everyone who is listening and felt that they really resonated with your message. Where can they get more of your content?
0: Mm, absolutely well thank you so much for having me I love your real raw energy this has been um, this has been very very enjoyable so I'm really glad I got to speak to your audience thank to you. listeners I hope this was uh, encouraging for you and one way one way or another, if you're struggling with your relationship with food and body, I just want you to know you don't have to, it doesn't have to be a life sentence. Even if a doctor or medical professional, mental health professional has told you that I was told that there's complete freedom available to you. Um, but I hang out a lot on Instagram. It's at Jesse, J E S S I Jean, J E A N N N. And then over on the dear body podcast, we recorded an episode with Cameron, um, recently over there. So go take a listen to that. And then if you're interested in uh, the Food Freedom Online program, it's my four month program that I take women through this mental rewiring process. You can check that out at conquer slash F as in foodie. FM conquerbingeating.com slash FFM.
1: All of that will be in the show notes. So you guys don't have to worry if you didn't catch anything. Um, Jesse, thank you so much. And I really appreciate you coming on here. Mm, thank you so much for having me. What up? It's just me. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. I have just a few updates for you all. And I'm really sorry I keep forgetting to do the like send in questions. I promise I'm going to try to be better about that. I just quite honestly forget. And sorry if I'm like sniffling a bit. I have a bit of pregnancy cold this morning, which is one of like the more annoying symptoms. The sneezing, the colds, the bloody noses. They just never stop. The shit. It's just every day a new symptom. Um, Okay. A few updates for you all. I want to chat, recap of Florida, Um, hitting 50K, setting boundaries, and some things I'm going to work on moving forward. So we drove back from Florida last week. I know I mentioned it in last week's episode that I was going to give you guys a recap. I mean, it's hard for me to complain or say anything bad about the experience or say it wasn't worth it because there were four of us in my parents' suburban. It was me, Joe, Lucy, and her boyfriend, Tyler. And I just sat in the back row the entire time with like the seat in front of me, one seat down in the second row so I could put my legs out. And I was in the back row with Charlie in his bed and pillows. And like I was just in and out of sleep the whole time. We listened to this very odd book on tape. I think it's called like Hidden Valley Road. It's like so long. Um, It's all about schizophrenia and this family who had 12 children and I forget the Percentage, but like majority of them had schizophrenia. And it was definitely interesting, but I don't think it's something I'd recommend. Um, but I just was like in and out of sleep, listening to the book, sleeping on my phone, like, oh, I can't complain. I didn't have to drive. I didn't have to do anything. So for me, it was 100% worth it. If it were just Joe and I driving, I, I'm not a road warrior. So I don't know if it would be worth it. And I, <laughs> definitely could not have done like this straight through drive. So we did it straight through. We left at 6 a.m. We got here to Jersey, I think around like 1130 midnight. So it was a long, a long day. And by the end of it, I was like, I cannot feel my tailbone and my legs that night. And the next morning, were so freaking sore and tired. I had this dream that I was like trying to run, but I had 20 pound ankle weights on because my legs were just molasses. Like, excuse me, I to burp. They felt so heavy. Um, We did get Bojangles on the ride home, which I was very excited about. A Southern staple. We stopped in Georgia for some Bojangles lunch, which was delicious. I made the mistake of not getting a sweet tea or a Bowberry biscuit. I'm sorry. I clearly should have done my research, um, but it was still very good and obviously, I had told you guys all that I was concerned about the peeing situation. Some of you might find this TMI, but I don't believe in that. So here we go. We stopped, I want to say, four times to like for everyone to use a restroom. I think it was probably four times. It was at a rest stop, another rest stop, Bojangles and Panera. Um, but I knew I was going to have to pee way more than that. So I got this thing off of Amazon. I think it was called like a piddle or something. And it's basically like this, it looks like a funnel kind of, but like the top of it basically like fits to a female's vagina and then turns it kind of into just like basically what a penis would be like. I mean, it's giving us the advantage that males just have where they can go to the bathroom anywhere. So then I brought like an empty water jug and I basically put the funnel into the water jug and I did end up using it. Um, it would have been a very easy process if I was like not in a car. The issue was trying to find a position that I could like squat in, and the jug was so big, it was hitting the bottom of the car, and I was nervous. Like It, it was a bit of a process, more than it should have been. In reality, I've peed in the back of the car hundreds of times over my life. And This was definitely, should have been the easiest process, but it wasn't the most seamless. I will leave it at that. Of course, like Joe was driving, freaking out. Like, what are you doing, Cameron? Tyler, keep your eyes in front. Like, okay, I'm not going to pee everywhere. Um, Overall, though, it was definitely worth it to be able to have spent three weeks in the sun. Honestly, it was a game changer for me. I forget how much I personally need to be outdoors for my mental health. Um, we are cor- currently quarantining, that was very hard for me to say, back in Jersey. We're getting, t- I guess by the time this records, we will have gotten tested because I'm getting tested tomorrow on Thursday. Per CDC guidelines, I know some people were like, but you didn't even leave your parents' house, which I didn't. The only, I actually, I did leave twice. I went into a CVS to pick up my um, Zoloft, and then I wanted Christopher's Kitchen to get my cinnamon buns. However, even though we didn't do anything, I'm still just following guidelines because I wish more people did. Um, we have so much snow in New Jersey right now—more snow than I think I've ever experienced in my life. Like I'm not joking. It is—I think we have two feet. It's still snowing on Wednesday. It's literally been snowing for three days straight. Charlie has really enjoyed it. He was a very bad boy yesterday and he wouldn't come in for 45 minutes. We had a standoff and I was not happy, but he can like barely run around in it. Like his body in the beginning was like sinking and he was trying to go to the bathroom. It was such a process, but it is so beautiful. So honestly, it's not the worst time to quarantine because we wouldn't be going anywhere anyway. Um, other stuff for me, Oh, 50K. That was next on the list. Guys, I get so out of breath talking. It's like actually embarrassing. I don't know how this is. I'm assuming this is just going to get worse. Um, I cannot believe I hit 50K, honestly. Like I've always said, numbers aren't the driving force around here. You know, I really try not to pay attention to them. They're not going to dictate why or how I do anything. But I just can't believe That, like, even one person has, like, cares what I have to say, let alone 50,000 people. Obviously, not all of them care what I have to say, but still, it blows my mind. And I am so grateful for the community we have built. It's unlike anything I could have ever imagined. And I just love this Freckle Foodie family. Speaking of which, people sending me photos of them in the merch makes my motherfucking day. You guys look so amazing. Mine came yesterday. Yes, I did buy my own merch because it was with a small business. And like, of course, I'm going to buy it as well. I just love it. It's perfect. Like, I love it so much. And I'm getting such incredible feedback on this. So thank you guys so much for believing in this, for supporting me, for supporting a small business like Bloom. Just it's really, really remarkable. Other things... I wanted to discuss our boundaries. So I almost feel like this is going to be a podcast episode soon because it keeps coming up so much. But historically, I just do not have boundaries. I didn't grow up with boundaries. I think it's one of my pitfalls in the sense of I just kind of give, give, give and allow everyone access. And sometimes it plays a negative impact on my or negative toll on my mental health and just like well-being. However, I also think it's something that people appreciate, I guess, in a sense of like, oh, she's so open and unfiltered. And I kind of think that those are different because setting boundaries, like I'm, I'm really trying to differentiate those two thoughts personally because my candidness and unfiltered aspect is something that I appreciate and I think it's something I've built a business on and it's something I want to continue. But I think boundaries are different in the sense of like, I can be unfiltered, I can share my honest life and thoughts, but I can still say that things are off the table. And this is coming up over a few things. Um I did my February unfiltered QA, which I'm now saving each month in a separate highlight so people can go back and watch all different months. So right now only January and February are up, but going forward they will be separate. Um and there were just like I didn't answer all of them but I just feel like there's this incessant desire for more information when it comes to my family. And part of me is like, I understand because I've opened up this kind of door and like let everyone in and I share everything and, you know, I get it. My family can be interesting, I guess. I don't really know. Like, yeah, they're funny. I don't really know why people are so interested in all of us. Um, But then I think it's almost like you give an inch, people take a mile and then people start to ask like very personal questions and stuff that just like, I don't think is anyone's business. And it's also not my story. Like my parents' financial situation is not my story. It's not my financial situation. And I feel like I've been very open and honest and blunt about the fact that I come from a wealthy family and I have privilege financially. I mean, other things too, but focusing on that. And I just don't know how much more we need to Like, I feel like I'm kind of beating a dead horse with it. Um, And so I'm trying to set more boundaries when it comes to my family. And, like, someone asked if my parents were even in Florida when we were there because I didn't show them. Like, they were. I'm just really trying to, I don't know. I think it's also, like, as I grow, there are more eyes. There are more questions. So it's something I'm working on. And I think I'm even more sensitive to it all because as Joe and I start our family, like… There are going to be boundaries. Um, I want to share a lot about motherhood and what I'm experiencing, but I don't really want to share a lot of our son, like physical images and all of that. Like he deserves his privacy. He didn't sign up for any of this. Um, I'm not judging people who decide to share a lot. It's just my personal decision. Also, like I'm married to a very private person and that child is half his as well. So he obviously has an input in that. So I think I'm just trying to set the precedent now, and I've been having a lot of conversations with people over DM of like, this is also, this is people saying this to me. I'm not saying this, but, you know, this sets a good example for other people that boundaries are important in general, like influencer or not, boundaries are important. I've been trying to set boundaries in my personal life all the time of like, I'm not constantly accessible or, you know, I joke all the time that my mom doesn't know what the word boundaries mean. Like I've been trying to set them. So it's just something I'm working on. I feel like there was another comment. Oh, okay. The other thing getting really, really annoyed already. And I can only imagine what's to come of like the pregnancy DM questions of like, Oh my God, you're eating this. Oh my God. Is this safe? Like first and foremost, I'm not your doctor. Okay. And like, we all have different journeys. We all have different beliefs. We all have different ways of handling information. I do not like pregnancy rules. I think they are sorry, dumb and outdated based on conversations I've had with my doctors, things I have looked into and what I feel comfortable with. I'm following my own set of guidelines. That does not mean that you need to follow my set of guidelines, but I think I'm going to set the precedent that I'm no longer answering DMs that ask, oh my God, you're eating this or is this safe for pregnancy? Because I'm not even the person to answer that. Like I posted a skincare thing and I'm getting all these questions like, are these safe while you're pregnant? First of all, guys, there is something called Google. But second of all, I, I like I shouldn't be the—I think we turn to influencers for the answers to things that like they shouldn't be the answers to, and I shouldn't be the answer, the person answering this. Like it should be if it's something you're very concerned about, it should be your doctor. So I think I'm going to set that precedent because it's overwhelming me. And Joe's like, you don't have to answer all of these DMs. Like I've set this idea for myself that I have to answer every DM. He's like, you don't have to, like, you just cannot answer these people. So moving forward, I love you guys. And I appreciate all of the DMs for the most part, but I'm not going to answer the DMs that are about whether something is safe or not during pregnancy, because I shouldn't be the one telling you that. Lucy said lately, I've been ranting a lot. Um, So I'm sorry if that came off. Actually, I'm not sorry. If that came off as a rant, it wasn't really meant to be, but I guess it could have. So maybe I'll just keep an eye on that because I don't want to be like this person who's just ranting to her phone all day long. All right, that's it. (laughs) On that note, I'm so out of breath and I need a glass of water. I love you guys. Thank you for listening. Um, Please let me know your thoughts on the episode. As always, it means the world to me that you listen. Please rate, review, subscribe, subscribe. The growth of this podcast is really a focus for me in 2021. So share with anyone and everyone you can think of. Have a wonderful weekend. You guys, thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Freckled Foodie and Friends. It really means the world to me. It means more to me than you could ever know. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please head over to wherever you consume your podcast and rate and/or review the show. It not only helps the show's growth, but it really makes my day when I go through and read all of the reviews. If you aren't already, please follow along over on Instagram at Freckled Foodie for my way too active channel and at FF and Friends Pod for more information on the podcast. I hope. Hope you have a wonderful day and I can't wait to give you the next episode.